I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Y'all better grab your extra large popcorn. We are in the thick of things with great films. I am open and positive. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Let's throw on okay. these boxer gloves. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we do a deep dive on a new release that's just hit theaters or streaming. I'm Helen. I'm Edison. And I'm Miss Sinclair. And guys, I had the strangest dream last night. Tell us about it. Uh, I was sitting in a forest. First of all, me what? in a forest. Yeah, clearly yeah. the start <laughs> of a nightmare. <laughs> and I was sitting by these mushrooms, but... The mushrooms, they all look like Paul Giamatti. And I was trying to do notes for the podcast. And then the Paul Giamatti mushrooms, they they suddenly started trying to bite me. And then I see this man and he's walking towards me and he has this really horrible horseshoe for a haircut. Oh, my God. And he's dressed kind of frumpy kind of like adam sandler but more intellectual looking and i kid you not he kind of looked like nicholas cage but not like hot nicholas cage from wild at heart mm. he looked like like later career nicholas cage and he just kind of stood there and he did nothing while these paul giamatti mushrooms attacked me Oh my god! I had the exact same dream. I, really? I, 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 you, you're not gonna believe me, but so did I. This is so weird. What? Even the Paul Giamatti mushrooms? Yes. Except I thought it was my friend Ando. <laughs> <laughs> we are, of course, discussing dream scenario today. <laughs> the new film starring the one and only Nicolas Cage. Cage plays Paul Matthews, an ordinary biology professor who lives a passive, unimpressive life, at least by his standards. When Paul inexplicably starts appearing in people's dreams, he becomes a bit of a viral sensation, turning his once mediocre life into a whirlwind of fame, glory, nefarious reputation, and ultimately isolation. This causes Paul to question if his dream of admiration and recognition is in actuality more of a waking nightmare. In the words of Carl Jung, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakens. Directed by Christopher Borgley, Dream Scenario asks the question, in a world where the collective unconscious can dictate what we see, think, and feel, and pack mentality makes our everyday existence feel like we're trying to survive in the Serengeti, is it better for the zebra, who wants more in life, to blend in or to stick out from the crowd? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, dream scenario, first impressions, Edison. Okay, so my very, very first impression of this film was that I had never heard of Saturn Productions before, and I really liked their like, production logo in the opening <laughs> credits. I liked it too. I, I had never that. seen it yeah. before, and I was like, wow, cool. Um, right, so then the film opens, and it's this like jittery visual sort of flashing in and out as if you're seeing through someone's eyes 
as they're like slowly blinking. It does feel super dreamlike and kind of made me feel like a little tweak of anxiety. Then it's this scene with the girl sitting beside a swimming pool while Nick Cage, who we know is Paul, is like raking leaves, just like kind of zombified. And then things start to fall out of the sky and something falls into the pool and she's like getting scared. She's dad, help me, help me. Starts floating up into the air and we're like, okay, I know that it's a dream. And I knew the premise of this film going into it. And I think I really appreciated that it just flung us right into the action right off the bat, that there was no sort of beating around the bush or waiting for it to like build up or just open this film in the dream sequence. And I'm already like invested in, in it. So I, I really liked how this opened. Um, mm. What did you think, Ellen? Well, my actual first impression of this movie happened about a year and a half ago when my mom was in Peru uh, (laughs) doing the Inca trail Uh and her and her friend (laughs) ran into these two women who happened to live in Toronto and my mom was like oh my daughter lives in Toronto she's an actor and they were like oh our son lives in Toronto he's an actor and then they were like became friends on the Inca Trail. And then while they were there, their son got cast in this Nicolas Cage movie. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So their son, his name's David Klein, and he plays Andy, who's like one of the students in the mm-hmm. university. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew about it from that point. And they were filming it in Toronto, obviously. And then my second impression of this movie was that it was the one movie I tried to get tickets to at TIFF. Yeah. And this year, I have never noticed this in previous years, and maybe it's a new thing this year, but bots or whoever were buying up all the TIFF tickets and reselling them at like crazy prices. Mm-hmm. So the only tickets available for this screening were like $400. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's really bullshit. They need to figure yeah. out a way around that. Yeah, for sure. So... Anyway, I didn't see it at TIFF, and I saw it uh, last week at Varsity Cinema, our favorite cinema in Toronto. <laughs> um, so that those are my first impressions of the movie before actually seeing it. <laughs> yeah. But I agree with you that I appreciated, agree with you, Edison, that I appreciated that it started off right away. Like, there's no hemming and hawing at the start of this movie. It just gets right into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, why don't we get into Rude. storytelling? Rude. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. Um, you should okay, keep that in so everyone knows how this podcast really uh, goes down. I just felt uh, like I had been talking for so long. I was like, we got to move on. I just forgot about you. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, first impressions for me. Uh, yeah, I have. I recently watched Sick of Myself, which is the other film by this director, and it is fucking hilarious yeah Uh, so I was excited for this that I saw um that this was directed by him because I really did enjoy that movie highly recommend and when this film started as somebody who only has nightmares like I (laughs) never have a nice dream this is a fact I don't even have no I only have nightmares what yeah every dream (sighs) is a nightmare I Always. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's the content I watch. And yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, this started, it had this dreamlike quality happening. And, I, and someone who gets nightmares, I'm like, okay, well, this is definitely going bad. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you see Nicolas Cage at the start of this film, he's rocking that awful horseshoe. 
mm-hmm. and he's in those frumpy clothes. But you realize how awesome Nicolas Cage is. He's so versatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's coming in looking like this. And I was in this right away. I really think that this is an exciting premise and I just couldn't wait to see what Nicolas Cage was going to do and where this movie was going to go. I was in. in. Mm-hmm. Do you have your Nicolas Cage pillow? I do. Oh. I don't have it beside me right now, but it well, is something should. that I treasure Good. on a daily basis. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, okay, so to jump into storytelling, I just want to touch on what you just said as well, Sinclair, about just the premise and Mm -hmm. I really just appreciated the originality of the premise to this uh this film feels like a like wholly original to me yeah of course there's this sort of Freddy Krueger comparison that they address in the movie but that premise like what if suddenly you started to just appear in the dreams of thousands and thousands of people every single night and you had zero control over it I don't know that I've ever seen that before and I love that it's so Mm -hmm. refreshing to see a new story basically and the style of the film, the way that they used like comedy and horror and like sci-fi to convey the story of this altogether, I just thought was so refreshing. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it was really, really cool. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I love the idea that dreams were being used as this catalyst to examine all these different themes and ideas and I think that it works because there's so much that we don't know and will never know about dreaming Mm -hmm. and the unconscious mind the possibilities in terms of a script are kind of endless Mm -hmm. if you're working with the idea of a dream and I think that because the movie is dealing with this dream phenomenon you already have to suspend your disbelief to a certain um, degree because we're working within dreams and we don't know everything about them but we also can't say that it can't happen, yes. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. you know, there's so many different theories like the collective unconscious, whether you believe in something like that or you don't. Really, we are so ingrained with social media now. Who's to say that social media won't trigger something that's deep in our our subconscious Mm -hmm. maybe it can you know maybe with technology now that's going to actually awaken something in in like you know the depths Mm. of our mind so of our subconscious mind i love that that's terrifying but Mm -hmm. cool yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well and to relate it to social media too it definitely you know, has the analogy or touches on the analogy of the fact that like someone could become famous in a day mm-hmm. and become known around the world instantaneously because of TikTok and social mm-hmm. media. Um, and at the same time could become canceled as quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, for me, that was probably the most interesting commentary that this movie had was that idea of like instant fame and instant demise (laughs) globally. Yeah. 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 And I think that like kind of touches on the theme. One of the themes that resonated with me was this, the like yin and yang of our ego, the like contrast Mm. of how we see ourselves and how other people see us. And that Mm. is kind of like our, what we put on social media versus what people interpret from our social media in that way. And also I feel like this movie was a film that was two halves. Like, Mm -hmm. 
the first part where he's just this passive character, he's this professor, he's married with a wife and daughter, but he doesn't see himself as successful. He's, you know, described as being utterly forgettable, boring. He is not getting the acclaim. He's desperate for all of this, right? But then the dreams start and he becomes the most fascinating man in the world. But in the dreams, he's still always passive, observing, not doing anything. And I thought that was really fascinating and interesting and like kind of bizarre. And it felt like, an examination of of him of his like mm. own ego and his sense of self-worth and his feeling of satisfaction with what he's done with his life and we see all these moments in that first half where he's encountering this new scenario and these new situations and he's being presented with the opportunity to take action and make choices and be more of an active character and the choices that he's making like reveals him and his integrity and who he is I love that first half of the mm. film because I it felt like more like a character study mm. then the second half the like cancel half mm-hmm. of your analogy that you just said Helen then it's like okay the torture and he's killing people and whatever he's active now but the film itself and the storytelling felt way broader to me like it started mm-hmm. to be more of a commentary on celebrity and fame and social media and mind influencers or dream influencers or whatever cancel yeah. culture and this bit kind of lost me a, a little bit I, I still found it really interesting but I didn't enjoy it as much of the first half when it was yeah. more centered on his own like one person's experience yeah. grappling does that mm-hmm. make sense yeah I agree with you I felt more connected to the first half than the last um the last half of the movie, especially when we get into the, yeah, the dream fluencers section, yeah. almost felt like that could have been a Black Mirror episode and could have just explored that as a concept. But it it, it shifted away from the character study and from the, the deeper questions that I think the beginning of the movie was asking. And it, it kind of made like a right hand turn. And then all of a sudden it just felt it felt to me like I was like, OK, that's an interesting way to end this movie but it didn't leave me feeling satisfied Mm. like I felt like it the movie could have gone a little bit deeper and instead took this more black mirror-esque route to end it Mm -hmm. yeah it's like ending on a really big idea that would just probably be like another hour of exploration yeah Uh, I think that it was trying to show how even though he was kind of ostracized now, how his impact had been like the catalyst to, to, you know, perfect this idea. Like we're always moving forward based on what we deem to be a mistake. You know, how can we use this concept and now capitalize on it Mm -hmm. even more, even though we're kind of casting aside the person that it originated with. Right. Um, Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that he appears in people's dreams and just does nothing. (laughs) Because you do think that that would be his dream. Like, that would be his Mm. subconscious where he's in his dream doing nothing and he wakes up and I'm like, ah, I'm a nobody, you know. But I think it is (laughs) funny that he is appearing in other people's (laughs) dreams just kind of standing there nonchalantly <laughs> being really passive. And it does work because 
you know, even Edison, you were touching on this where, you know, it's this idea of like, how does everybody else see me? Mm-hmm. And the idea of you could get famous for doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. You could well, just be walking down the street and then have a weird interaction with your neighbor. And then suddenly it's it's online. And like what you actually feel like you could become famous for and what your talents are might not be what actually propels you to this kind of stardom, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think it's it's interesting. I think he's the perfect person to play this role because Nick Cage has been very famous for a very long time now. Mm -hmm. International movie star famous, right? He's experienced real fame. And this film is definitely, like definitely making commentaries about fame. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, like as a society, I mean, we talk about this all the time. We, we know we make a mistake of thinking that fame has value, but fame Mm -hmm. in and of itself is it's nothing. It has no inherent value, right? Yeah. It can enrich your life or it can destroy your life depending on how you utilize it. So, Maybe, you know, like this character, he doesn't get that. He's just a professor. So he gets famous and he's just like reveling in the glory of being celebrated Mm -hmm. and yay. But then the public turns on you and it's over and you have nothing, right? But fame can also be really useful if you utilize it to to like champion something that you're passionate about or like a humanitarian cause or create impactful art it can act as a jumping off point Mm -hmm. you know we see him saying okay well i'm famous for the dream i'm the dream guy but i'm all i'm a biologist and Mm -hmm. i want to write a book and i did laugh when michael Sarah was like okay well we're going to, you know, maybe use the dream stuff and then, you know, try to get you, you know, in the, in the room as that. And he's like, I am that. I am yeah. already that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I am already doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He but- intuitively knew. And I think it's interesting because if he had have been able to, say, get out a book that was really meaningful to him, that he felt meant made some actual impact in the field that he's passionate about, mm-hmm. and then the public turned on him, Right. Mm-hmm. And then he had all of that. He would have still said, OK, but I I can still look at this thing that I created that did have real value mm-hmm. as a result of this fame yeah. and be OK with it. Versus if you're just like a Kardashian, for example, or whatever, and you don't, don't do anything yeah. other than be famous and monetize your fame. Yeah. Then when the public turns on you, you got nothing. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean that when he's meeting with thoughts, 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 or whatever. Oh my God, that was so good. Um, It does go to show that like, like he wants notoriety and he gets notoriety, but not for the thing he wants it for. And the thing that he wants it for, it doesn't have any value Mm -hmm. to his fame. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he can't push the book, you know, he can't make them understand that that's actually what he cares about because it doesn't, it's not his brand. Right. Mm And well, yeah. Yeah. And what I was kind of mentioning in the, the intro there is that I do think human nature, we do want some sort of like we all want to be somebody to some degree. We all want to be admired to a certain degree and be respected. And I think that with the Internet, with social media now, that the the analogy of the zebra you know the zebra Mm. and the stripes and and blending in or standing out the world does make you want to to sometimes just be a nobody and just Mm -hmm. put your 
head in the sand. Just bury right. your head deep in the sand. And we do still have that drive to want to do something. But like we see in the film, when he isn't doing anything, he's passive in the dreams. When he starts doing something, there is criticism. Mm-hmm. You risk being controversial. Mm. You risk your life sometimes gets threatened. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's this idea of like if you stand out, you have you're gonna face the the repercussions of that. Yeah. Um, I, I love yeah. that zebra analogy. It's mm-hmm. true. It's like he was he was just a regular guy. He was just part of the herd. But as soon yeah. as he was separated from the herd through this experience, right, then he became prey for the predators. Yeah, there's consequences yeah. to being seen. There there just are. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that his uh, his book is about ants too, um, because they do work as a collective, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they actually just live to serve the colony. Mm. And there's also a very distinct hierarchy in the in the ant colony. And I think that's really interesting that his book is about that because, you know, he is in this world of academia and he wants to stand out <laughs> and he yeah he you know wants to get to the top of that hierarchy, but in the ant colony you have to you have to serve the collective Mm -hmm. so he's kind of going against his studies which i thought was really interesting i liked that that connection yeah the juxtaposition of what he believes and what he preaches versus what he actually wants for himself yeah right or what he thinks he wants for himself because we do get at the end where he realizes it's like um the helplessness blues song from the fleet foxes right like Mm. just rather be a cog in a big machine yeah you know in some ways One more thing I wanted to mention, too, is this idea of the collective unconscious and and what we see in just out in the world and how that affects maybe maybe our dreams. Like we see the same images. We see the same memes. Mm -hmm. We see the same celebrity faces. Mm -hmm. So I think it actually is possible like think of how many people maybe had trump nightmares when that was all they, they yeah. were seeing you know so like, many so 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 many um there was a part in the movie where or thor dreams or thor <laughs> dreams you know we're all kind of bombarded with the same imagery yeah and while i was watching this film there were a couple references in here like the film talks about the um mandela effect which i was mm-hmm. talking about with somebody the other day and then they also make a talking heads yeah. mm-hmm. burn mm-hmm. reference which just watched stop making sense and that yeah. gives you this feeling of oh weird that's yeah, really yeah. weird like am i connecting to this film as an individual but at the same time these are pop culture things that we are all unified yes with so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It is like the new definition of God, if there was one. Like, I remember people mm. saying that about Twitter. It, it was the actual, literal, like, collective consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Mm. Okay, so what did we think about the performances? I mean, we got to start with Nick Cage, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always gives 150%, even when he's in a movie that he knows is garbage, but he's <laughs> doing it for the paycheck. I mean, yeah. and he's had plenty of those. It doesn't matter. He commits. And this one was like 150%. Fuck, man. He was so good. And I yeah. loved him in this. Me too. I love him as this character. I love any actor that 
throws their vanity away and just plays a character like it is so so much fun to watch the comedy of this character like really came through he's funny really funny yeah and and like he's there's scenes where it's a lot like this that like in i don't know that i've ever witnessed such an awkward cringy like love sex most awkward sex sex scene scene i think i've ever seen ever (laughs) And it was really a lot like extra. His performance mm-hmm. in that was a lot. I mean, the farting is so absurd, but yet it's really real. You believe him I a thousand know. percent. This is this guy, and you feel every ounce of his anxiety and every wince on his face. You, it's I like know. it was so so cringe. It was so brilliantly done, though. Yeah, well, there has to be something relatable in that for an actor like for a movie star I think because we have this dream image of them and if you meet them in person sometimes that doesn't really live up to your idolized Mm. image of them so I think that there were some good tie-ins with that Nicolas Cage probably feels a little bit like that too where we all have this idea of who he is and we've been bombarded with him in so many different movies that it would be kind of weird to have some sort of intimate moment <laughs> with somebody that you've only seen on your mm-hmm. television set or in your movie screen. Totally. It's so true. Or in your dreams. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he has in recent years become been memefied online, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. For over the top performances and that that kind of became how he was still in pop culture for a Mm -hmm. while and then when he like kind of decided to play into that and embrace that is where I think a lot of his really interesting roles in the last couple years have come from Mm -hmm. um so he himself in his own career is sort of playing with that idea of like how Mm -hmm. I'm perceived and can I play off that perception to con- to further my career versus like trying to play against it, mm-hmm. right? Well, and you forget too that he's he's an Oscar winner. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is. This is he's his best Oscar performance winner. since since adaptation, which he was nominated mm-hmm. for, but he won for Leaving Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. And I am, I think this was his best performance since adaptation that was 21 years I ago I think so too yeah. at least of the films of his that I've seen and the ones I haven't seen probably aren't going to be his best performances <laughs> um so do you think he's going to be nominated again this year I hope so I I don't think he'll be you don't nominated think so for this I would love to see it but I just feel like the movie's too weird no I just I think that it's just like a tight race yeah, maybe. Mm. I hope he's nominated. I'm rooting for it because I I don't know what else he could have given in this film. Like I loved the Michael Sarah Kate Berlant um, <laughs> cameos as well as Cousin Greg. We get a brief yes. Cousin Greg at the end, which is so awesome. Mm-hmm. So good. And he is the exact type who would come up with that stupid dream bracelet. <laughs> totally. I know. And of course, Julianne Nicholson. Oh, she's mm-hmm. lovely. Mm-hmm. I, she's just so authentic. She's That's lovely. A- She's such a great actress. Uh, she was the only good part of August Osage County, in my opinion. <laughs> and she's always supported. And I really want to see her be like a main lead. Yeah, she needs that role. Because she's she's so talented and beautiful. She's just great. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, what about technical? 
Well, this is shot in Toronto, so it was mm-hmm. really nice to see some Toronto landmarks. There was one yeah. point where I thought, that's Elgin. That's Elgin Theatre. Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought that the choice of making the dreams also have a real life quality to them. So you can't necessarily mm-hmm. tell if something yeah. is a dream mm-hmm. until certain little things start going wonky. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'll be honest, I something that really fucks me up is when you think like, is my dream life, my actual waking life mm. and is my waking life like that to me more movie. Well, and yeah, just end waking life. That, <laughs> but, oh, okay. Um, I, see, that I fucks can't me think up. about that. that That's going to send up. me. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have to change the topic. That's going to, no, no. We're going to so spiral. I liked that. You know, obviously, I don't think this had a huge, fantastical, a, a huge budget for these, like, fantastical sequences. But mm-hmm. what they did do with blending the real world and the dream world, I thought was really good. And it was really effective. Yeah, I thought that the they did a really the way it was shot was really cool and Benjamin Loeb was a cinematographer on this and he also was a cinematographer on Mandy. Um that mm. fantasy horror film with Nick Cage from a few years ago. Now, that film was like visually completely insane, mm-hmm. right? Um this doesn't have the bombast of that obviously, mm-hmm. but it I thought it still was really smart the way that that I did it and also the creativity of some of the shots like the askew angles and the frames and Think about the kind of horror parts, like that shot of Paul running down the hall of the house toward his daughter's bedroom when she's mm-hmm. having the dream and oh, it's, yeah. it's like maniacal smile and his arms going like a sprinter. <laughs> yeah. Marching and high like, march. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like really freaky. And the way that they shot it with just looking up at him slightly and the hallway sort of zooming out behind, it was like terrifying and effective. Yeah. Yeah. I read an interesting fact about this movie that initially it was going to be Ari Aster directing with um, Adam Sandler in the lead. Oh, my God. See, this is what I mean. I just referenced Adam Sandler (laughs) in the intro, not even knowing that. Collective consciousness. Yeah, like what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, I'm glad it is is what it is, this movie. Um, The only thing I would have liked, I would have loved more dream scenarios, to be honest. Mm -hmm. That was so fun and like so playful. And there was, you know, you can just do anything Mm -hmm. with that concept, as you mentioned before, Sinclair. And I mean, if it was Ari Aster, it would have been far more bonkers, I think. And and scarier but listen God, we've after seen seeing enough, Bo, enough of Ari Aster's inner mind okay I know after seeing Bo's afraid um, yeah. Bo is afraid that's enough we don't need him we don't need Ari Aster in our dreams okay no no, no. thank you <laughs> okay what was the last word on dream scenario Helen yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was really funny. Uh, another moment I wanted to mention that I loved is when he sees that ex-girlfriend. She's like, oh, you changed your name. And he's like, yeah, I took my wife's oh, yeah. name. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, yeah, I found this movie really entertaining. I think the second half lost me a little bit, but it's a great performance by Nicolas Cage, and it's it's really entertaining, really worth watching. Yeah. Uh, Sinclair? Yeah, I really liked this. Uh, this worked for me as a whole. It, it worked for me from start to finish. This director, he cracks me up. Uh, sick of myself, really funny. I enjoyed this one too, so I'm I'm definitely a fan. And there's just some fun things. There's thematically, 
just some fun stuff in this. The Mandela effect, all the Carl Jung stuff. There's just stuff mm-hmm. that I find really, really interesting in this. So, I mean, I was in. Yeah. I also really, really enjoyed this film. I thought it was super original storytelling. I loved the premise. I appreciated that it gave us a ton of different ideas to think about and talk about on this podcast episode. I really loved how well it balanced comedy, horror, and I actually did appreciate the sci-fi chunk at the very end. I thought that was cool to throw in. Nick Cage and Andrew Nicholson, fantastic performances. Again, I hope he gets an Oscar nomination. Yeah, it's an oddball kind of a film, but I think that there's something here to like for most people. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I really liked it. And I just need to say that come end of December, we're all going to be having nightmares about Hugh Grant as that fucking (laughs) Oopa Loopa. I know. Okay? That's going to be in everybody's fucking nightmares. Yeah. Mark my words right now. (laughs) It's definitely going to be in yours. I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, already is. all right well this has been another episode of talk movie to me if you would like to get in touch with us our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com follow us on instagram at talk movie to me uh rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and you can find season seven episodes on youtube at talk movie to me podcast i'm helen i'm miss sinclair and i'm edison take care Ugh. <laughs>